Welcome to What a Scream, the horror movie podcast where I, your host, Ygrain, chats about horror films every week with a special guest. We talk about a certain subject or topic that I've previously randomly chosen, and then we also discuss two films that kind of have to do with that subject. Um, so this week is all about terror from the deep. So underwater monsters, underwater horror, horror on the high seas, etc, etc. Um, it's not a subgenre of horror that I am particularly bothered about, I'm going to be honest. I'm Jaws doesn't do my jig I guess I just I don't know I just I think because I'm such a a water baby that I'm just not scared of it I know it's dangerous but I'm just not scared of the water I will jump in fully clothed or otherwise um so yes I mean I, I guess this subject is terrifying because we know more about space than we do about the Earth's oceans. So that's pretty wild. Um, so this week my special guest is Kat Hughes and together we are going to be talking about two films that have um, monsters from the deep or horror from the water. So our first one is 2019's Irish sci-fi horror film uh, called Sea Fever and the second film we are going to be talking about is a classic. Uh, it's probably one of the only horror films with a sea, well not sea, a water monster that I actually like. It is Creature from the Black Lagoon from 1954 uh, from Universal Pictures. So yes, those are the two films we are chatting about and I hope you enjoy this discussion about water horror. So I would like to welcome to What a Scream, Kat, how are you? I'm good, and yourself? I'm very well, thank you. Before we came on, we were just sharing horror stories of being a mother, <laughs> so we've got that in common. It's been Easter break, and I literally have bald patches where I'm tearing my hair out, but sure luck. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think our two weeks might be slightly different to your two weeks, is it? Mm. She went back yesterday, so mm. I'm sort of remembering what it's like to actually be able to think and not you know and have the, not have to sit and watch CBeebies all day oh it's you're so nice lucky break. <laughs> um so would you like to introduce yourself and tell people what you do yeah so um Kat I have been writing about film for I think it's coming into nine years now for mainly for the website the Hollywood News um it kind of I've always worked in and around film. My first job was um, on the DVD stand at Smith's and then I went to Blockbusters and then I worked at a cinema um, and then I went to uni to study uh, media production. We made like short films and things. Then most people when they're at uni, their parents turn their bedroom like into a study or something. My mum had my brother. Um, so I came home and my bedroom was uh, his bedroom. Uh, so I sort of fell into retail. And while I was there, I needed, I needed a way to still be creative. So that's sort of when I started writing. And then through that, I ended up sort of getting to know the lay of the land in London and Soho and ended up doing a stint at Lionsgate and a stint at Entertainment One working in the, the technical teams, which is basically we would oversee the authoring of 
the DVDs that people have in their homes. But also, if ever there was a press screening, we would have to test to make sure that that print works, you know, that there's mm. end credits, that it all looks nice. We'd have to get stuff certified by the BBFC. And then I became pregnant and had my daughter and it wasn't viable anymore for me to continue doing that work. So now it's all focused on um, trying to get some money from this whole writing shenanigans. So I'm I'm freelancing at the moment and I'm working under the uh, tutelage of uh, Terry White, formerly of Empire. Mm-hmm. She's sort of um, taken a couple of people under her wing. She's doing like a a free uh, mentorship program um, at the kindness of her heart, which is, you know, so nice of her. Uh, so I'm sort of, yeah, hoping to, to gain some traction from that and make some sort of living from this thing. That all sounds amazing. You've had such like a, a, a kind of a long history of film that you've been able to see it from its consumption as in a video shop like yeah. Blockbuster to behind the scenes workings and now you're writing about it like I couldn't think of anybody more suitable to be writing about film well I think it I think it helps because especially because I did like a uni degree in media production and we did make our short films and Mm -hmm. the university they gave us the kit but they Mm -hmm. didn't give us anything else so we had to fund it and I ended up with I ended up with the kid that was born into into the industry his Mm -hmm. dad um was one of the early guys working on panorama and his mum was really high up in bbc manchester Mm -hmm. so he came with some big ideas and he pushed us i mean i went to lincoln university and our short films uh, our final short film was filmed in london and in mallorca in spain um despite the fact that none of us spoke a word of spanish (laughs) Uh, so trying to get locations and stuff was interesting but I think it helps when it comes to writing and watching films because I know how hard it is to make something that's like 20 minutes long so I can then Mm -hmm. extrapolate that out to making something feature length I mean I do a lot of films at Fright Fest and Mm -hmm. a lot of those films are made for next to no money in the space of like 10 days or something and I think that having that experience helps me judge a film slightly differently because a lot of people will compare something low budget with something high budget Mm. and not factor in that you know like Eggers has been given like 90 million to make The Northman but there's you Mm -hmm. know like might be another Viking film that's had like 20 grand you can't compare them they're both Viking films sure but they're at complete different spectrums I think that that sort of knowledge all helps me sort of be nicer I mean even if I don't like a film I try not to be unnecessarily mean because I know blood sweat and tears have gone into that film yeah it's definitely a hard thing to do like when I started writing I was like how can I be nice but have like some constructive criticism at the same time and it is a really difficult balance because you know it's very kind of normal for you to go straight in with your emotions about a film being like I really don't like this film but having to strip that back and be like well this is someone's pride and joy someone has put their money and their blood and sweat into this film so how can I not especially when they're an independent filmmaker how can I not dash them completely you know (laughs) so it's something I always have in the back of my mind um so how is it working with Terry White because I worked with Terry under the BFI critics mentorship program she was one of the the mentors there how have you found it working with her 
She's great. I mean, it's it's all very sort of fluid in terms of like when we do it. Because obviously now she's not working for Empire. She's mm-hmm. sort of freelancing herself. She's mm-hmm. she's had a child a couple of years ago, so it's trying to juggle our sessions around our work yeah. and our kids. But I mean, she's got so much knowledge. I mean, she's been doing writing and stuff for so many years. Yeah. She's just got so much. I mean, she sort of had a session where she talked me through like the best way to do pictures um and as an outcome of that I've already had a couple of commissions so yeah. it's it she just makes everything sort of make sense it's sort of it's all stuff that I kind of knew and kind of thought that that was how we should do it but just mm-hmm. having her be like just do it like this do it like that so obviously she's seen so many pictures come through her her path uh, her desk as, mm-hmm. as an editor so she's like just get to the point you know couple of paragraphs first paragraph what you want to do second paragraph why you're the one to do it and mm-hmm. so far it's worked so yeah we're looking I'm looking at looking forward to sort of getting into some more stuff with around reviewing I mean it feels odd to be getting lessons in reviewing when I've sort of been doing this for eight years but I never had any sort of formal training so it's kind of it's interesting to sort of now get some feedback from somebody that is you know so at the top of a game yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so how did you get into horror? And do you remember the first horror film you ever saw? So I got into horror through my mum. I mean, she she had me when she was like 17, almost 18. And that was in the 80s. And before that, she had been a big horror film fan she mm-hmm. would go to her old cousins on a friday night and they would go to the video shop and they would get whatever they could so she saw a lot of the video nasties and stuff before they got banned um like sort of as they came into the country yeah and then we were a single parent family and there would be the thing you know where the kid get you get up in the night because you know you can't sleep or whatever and she would be in the living room watching god knows what and there would be a lot of times where it would I guess partially because it was a different time it was the 80s but also because she was she was quite young and doing it alone she would be like well if you're not tired you want to just sit there so I saw all manner of things I think the the ones that I can remember snippets of is um ghoulies I definitely remember seeing like that that VHS box um and dolls I've Mm -hmm. never I mean it terrified me and I haven't watched it since I'm pretty because I don't even know if it necessarily is dolls it's just sort of like doing doing research I think it was I just remember this like scene where there was a family coming under attack from dolls like jumping off of shelves and like coming towards them and that freaked me freaked me right out to the point of I've stayed clear of it because I'm pretty sure it's that film, but I feel like I need I need to watch it soon and sort of put it to bed and be like, yes, it is that film. Yeah. Um, but the the one that I I really remember, it's sort of it's not really seen as a horror anymore, but would be Gremlins. Okay. When it was originally released, it was like a 15, I think. And yeah. I did watch that from sort of start to end, and then i remember going into my bedroom and hearing like the end of the film where it's like you know if something's going wrong you just might have a gremlin you know in your house i remember having to like look under the bed um (laughs) to make sure there was nothing there but yeah Mm. i guess gremlins would be 
that one, but I saw snippets of lots of things that I probably shouldn't have at a very young age. <laughs> and do you think that exposure as a, at a young age kind of shaped you into the adult you are now? Definitely. I say we were, we were a single parent family for, for a long time and it was this thing that sort of connected us. I think once my mum realised that I wasn't necessarily too intimidated by the things that I was seeing, she was a bit more sort of laissez-faire about what she would let me watch. Mm. I mean, I watched, I watched, I remember watching the, it was an alien trilogy at the time um, when I was seven um they were like I did a one one a night after school yeah um and then it wasn't too long after that, that I saw the predator films and then sort of fell into Nightmare on Elm Street and that it was she would go out when I was a teenager and I'd like have friends around and we'd just sort of go into her cupboard and see what we could see and I remember like we were I think, like 15 and we found Return of the Living Dead 3 which was just <laughs> an experience because like one of my friends was a massive scaredy cat and yeah. it was just so much fun because she was like can I look now like yeah yeah you tell me. <laughs> what? why did you tell me I could look and it's like look I don't think you're gonna watch any of this film because it's it's pretty grim um but yeah, I definitely think it sort of it helped yeah it definitely helped shape my thing and it's just horror has always connected us like whenever yeah. Whenever we watch a film together, it's a horror. You know, whenever we go mm. to the cinema together, if she comes to visit, it's, oh, there's a new horror, let's go and watch it. So, yeah, it's definitely something that has sort of connected us over the years, which I think is is nice. And it's, I think it's becoming more usual to find that it's yeah. the mothers that are getting kids into it. So I think a lot for a lot of people, they would assume that it's like, oh, your dad got you into horror. But yeah. I, the more I talk to people, the more it is it's mothers and grandmothers and aunties and stuff that are getting yeah. them into it. So, you know, we we are here and we do we do enjoy to be scared. Exactly. And I've I've talked about this quite a bit, being a mother and being like when you know, when do I introduce my child to horror? But now I've got another mother to talk to whose child is kind of of a similar age as mine. Yeah. So what, in your opinion, like, are you actively going to try and introduce your child to horror? And how are you going to go about it if you do? Well, this is the thing. Like I said, it was like the 80s just felt like a very different time. Um, I mean, I remember kids in my primary school, we, we got set up a thing where we had to write a short story and so many of the kids' short stories were just plagiarised horror films. Like one yeah. kid, one kid, her story was called Candyman and <laughs> it was literally the scene where they got, where the, the mother's baby's missing and there's like yeah. the dog's head. And I remember reading it and she's like describing the dog's head being loose and it's like, why would, like, why were our teachers letting us watch this? But now that I've got, like my it was a similar there's 20 years between me and my brother it was similar when when mm -hmm. he's been growing up like when do you introduce it I mean she she loves Halloween she quite likes spooky things mm -hmm. um she quite likes spooky stories but I think that the furthest we've gone so far is stuff like Hocus Pocus yeah um she is at the minute going through the everything scary phase even when it's not scary yeah. um like she we watched her turning red at the weekend and she kept saying that she wanted that turning off because it was scary because they kept turning into the animal um but <laughs> Because it's weird because it was when I was she's three and it was when I was her age that I remember seeing like gremlins and ghoulies yeah. and stuff. So I don't, it just, I don't know. I mean, I guess it all just depends on the child. Yeah. Um, 
but I don't necessarily think my husband will be letting us sit down in front of like <laughs> aliens or anything anytime soon. I think we'll have to go like the sort of the softer hocus yeah. pocus gremlins. I mean, I'd say Monster House, which is obviously a kids film, but that in yeah. itself is quite terrifying for kids, yeah. for non kids as well. I think we'll we'll sort of go that route and see see how she how she copes. Maybe when she's sort of like around like nine or ten, I'll start off bringing in some yeah less I guess it's more less bloody yeah things yeah I mean Nate has seen like Hocus Pocus as she said Frank and Weenie um Nightmare Before Christmas he he really likes that um but he's always I'm like do you like spooky stuff he's like no mom that's what you like I'm like all right okay but he's seen Gremlins and he quite he liked that because he loves Gizmo um and he didn't seem too bothered by the the scary gremlins um but yeah i mean he sat in while i watched one of our films for today uh he sat in and watched that fine and it didn't really bother him but i'm always like (laughs) you know i've heard so many stories people being like i watched the exorcist six years old and i'm like jesus like that's what a year and a half away from my son's age i'm just like oh my god i could never like i could never Um, so let's get on to our subject for today, which is terror from the deep. Now, when I first approached you with this subject, what did you think of it? I mean, it's not necessarily, I guess it's not necessarily a genre I particularly sought out. I mean, I, I, in, anything with a shark in, I will watch because, I mean, there's some really fun films with sharks out there. There's shark <laughs> later, there's like shark exorcist or whatever like yeah, shark. ghost shark yeah, yeah. It's anything with a anything with a shark um recently watched titanic 666 <laughs> um which is not it's not as fun as it sounds by it's oh, no. <laughs> um so yeah, it's not one i've necessarily actively sought out but i think that's partially because i'm i'm not a swimmer um mm. and because of that I know I would never find myself in those situations yeah. where like in like the shallows, you know, a, a shark could be circling me and I know I would never go like in a cage dive under, mm. under the ocean. So I guess it's not something that I've particularly sought out, but when I started sort of thinking back, it's like, oh no, I have, I have seen quite a lot. And I guess, although I don't swim, I probably do therefore have a fear of the water. I just know that I'm not stupid enough to go <laughs> into that area where, yeah where it could happen yeah see I I would be the opposite I'm like I'm really into water I love swimming I love swimming in like the sea in rivers lakes anything like that so I probably would be the stupid one to uh, get myself into those situations but I don't I'm not really a big fan of like shark stuff or um water creature kind of stuff I just wouldn't it for some reason it just kind of goes over my head and I'm just kind of like meh I get why it's scary um Obviously, we haven't explored as much of our own oceans as we have space, apparently. Um, So I do get the terror there. But Jaws just didn't really have a big impact on me as much as what I've heard it has had. You know, it made people scared to go to the beach and into the water. And I just, I don't know, I just don't, I just don't get that terror. Um, But yeah, why, why do you think people are so scared of, water and of the ocean 
I mean, I guess it is that like it's the fact that we don't really know what's down there. You know, we have mm. done it. It's, it seems ridiculous, but it's easier for us to build a rocket and send it to space than it is for us to to make the necessary equipment to go below a certain depth because yeah. of the pressure and the darkness down there. I guess there is is that element, and I guess when you're in the in the ocean treading water, it's anything could just come. Mm and grab you and you would that'd sort of be the last the last thing you did so to speak yeah so I guess that is why I mean I know from talking to a lot of people that's why they themselves are anxious about mm-hmm. being in the sea it's that once you're so far out if something goes wrong there's nobody there to help you yeah um so let's begin with your choice of film would you like to introduce it and give us a brief synopsis please yeah so my pick is the 2019 film sea fever it's directed by nessa hardiman and it tells a story of a marine biology student uh, siobhan as she embarks on a fishing expedition with the crew of the neve Um, Upon arrival, she is quickly thrust into life on the water, but before she can catch her sea legs properly, the crew find themselves um, in the grips of a potentially new aquatic creature. It's one that has uh, devastating intentions for all aboard. Mm. So why did you choose Sea Fever? Well, it it was between underwater and Sea Fever. I thought they were very different ends of the of the spectrum. But I thought that Sea Fever, I guess, has a bit more resonance outside of the water in the light of, you know, what we've all been living through for the last mm-hmm. couple of years because it's it's very much about people having something and others not being able to know that they've got it and yeah. how do they, they stop themselves getting infected, which I guess is something that we can all we can all relate to. So I thought that that would make it quite a, an interesting thing to, to tackle rather than just aliens underwater, which I guess is mm. what a lot of people have said underwater is. Yeah. I mean, it does have that kind of aliens, alien-esque kind of feeling. I kind of, I, I related a lot to it alien but also to the thing as well um so there's it's like um I don't even know how to describe it's like not quite parasitic but it gets within the bloodstream and um the only way you can tell if someone is infected is you shine a light in their eye and you can see it it's kind of gross uh see it behind their eye and it kind of reminded me of the thing you know where they're like who who is it who is it who has it um and that kind of paranoia between the crew members and that's what builds a lot of the tension is this rising paranoia that we see quite often in science fiction films what did you think about its depiction of that like fear yeah it definitely is it's it's sort of it's the the classic fear of the other and it's both the other in terms of the creature and the other in terms of Siobhan. I mean, she mm-hmm. she gets onto the ship and she's instantly on the back foot with the crew because of the colour of her hair. Because it's mm-hmm. a strange nautical superstition where it's bad luck to have a redhead on board a ship. <laughs> yeah. So they're instantly like, oh my God, does the captain know that she's got this colour hair? And it's like what's that got to do with anything yeah. and then she I mean I think in the first scene that you see her she she basically turns around to a professor and so that she doesn't mix with others mm. and 
when she's placed with this crew who are very tight knit, that in itself is a, is another fear of the other because they don't they don't know her, and this other thing has turned up at the same time as her, and mm-hmm. she's trying to control the situation even though she is the she's the new recruit. What did you think about its kind of ecological themes? Like for me, they go off their chartered course because obviously they want to get more fish and they go into um, an area of water where there are whales and it's meant to be like a protected area. They're not meant to fish there because of the whales. And this is where they encounter this other being. So do you think it's kind of, it's an ecological morality tale? I guess it's definitely that that aspect to it because man is always going places where where mm. it shouldn't and you know disturbing nature I mean that's obviously what we've what we've done to the entire planet and I guess this year is it sort of extrapolated down into a very basic thing of they've gone somewhere they've disturbed nature nature's now gonna sort of fight back and mm. and teach you a lesson yeah I mean it very it followed a lot of science fiction uh uh kind of stories that we've seen before um but i kind of liked that it was grounded more in reality and whereas before we see it you know it's space and it's an unknown thing from the atmosphere here it's well it's from the sea it's from a space that we haven't explored enough of um what did you think of the performances in particular of um Hermione Corfield who plays uh Siobhan well I think as we've sort of discussed it's got a lot of similarities with like Alien and The Thing I mean, what I really liked about her character is rather than being the the Ellen Ripley I think she's probably got more in common with with Ash, the science officer, mm-hmm. because she is very much about protecting this thing. As much as she wants everybody to be safe mm-hmm. and to not get infected, she also isn't gung-ho about killing the creature. Mm-hmm. She just wants to send it back where it came from and let it let it live. So I quite like how she played that because she is quite an icy character. Mm-hmm. She never really warms up to anybody. I mean, there's, a, there's an almost... And almost with Johnny, where they sort of try to, they kind of admit that they like each other, but even that doesn't really seem particularly romantic. It's more like we might die, so mm. shall we? Um, <laughs> but I think she she did a she did a really a really good job at sort of conveying that logical, methodical, scientific mind without getting too hysterical, which I guess is something that happens quite a lot in these sort of films. Yeah, I was just about to say that, that usually when you see um, kind of women portrayed, they're usually the hysterical, in quotation marks, character. Um, but she's very, very scientific. She's very, I wouldn't say unfeeling, but she knows how to co- um, compartmentalise her feelings versus her as a scientist. And this includes, um, you know, not killing this creature because she, you know, she knows that A, they need to study it and B, they need to kind of contain the outbreak as well on this ship. She doesn't want to go aboard uh, on land because she doesn't want to spread it. Um, so I kind of, I liked her character. At times I thought she was a little bit too cold and unfeeling. She was played a little bit too much, but I could kind of get over it. Um, so would you recommend Sea Fever to 
horror fans. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I know that I think I caught it first at I think it was Fright Fest Glasgow, mm-hmm. and it definitely has. It does border that gap of of sci fi of sci fi horror, but I think it's it's an interesting take. I mean, we've had we've had space with Alien, we've had mm. the you know the the Arctic Antarctic with the Thing, and now we've got the water version, and it's it's it hits those tropes from those films i mean there's a great sort of sequence where they're trying to work out who's infected which is you know straight out of the thing the faculty mm-hmm. um an x-files episode called firewalker but i think there's enough within it to intrigue horror fans i mean it's not yeah it's not in your face scary but there are some some interesting themes you know the paranoia the the, the stuff with the virus and the fact that we don't know what's going on beneath the surface that I think would would do do well for I guess your your discerning horror fan. Yeah, absolutely. Um I agree with you. It's it's kind of borderline ecological horror slash science fiction horror. Um we seem to be getting quite a lot of ecological horrors recently. But I think this has taken on whereas a lot of them have kind of either been folk horror in the forest or have been like zombies. This one takes another turn um a, a unique turn and I kind of I like it I like that also it's got Olwyn Fuere in it I hope I'm pronouncing her name is she was recently Sally in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and she's in this so um that's another good point for it um so let's move on to the film that I chose which is a 1954 black and white monster movie directed by Jack Arnold, it is Creature from the Black Lagoon, in which a group of scientists discover an amphibious humanoid creature in the water of the Amazon. And um, through some of their assistance, anger in it, it goes on to murder a few of them. And it also becomes quite enamoured with the female of the group, um, Kay Lawrence, played by Julia Adams. Um, so what do you think of Creature from the Black Lagoon? I mean, I think I saw it, I saw it originally years ago. So watching it recently was, I think, the first time I'd sort of properly watched it and it's it's always it's always interesting to see these films because they i think i think it was rated like an x rating when it first came over in britain and now it's a it's a pg on the on the disc that i watched so it's always interesting to see it as a this is what was scary i mean there's a there's an early attack um upon some researchers in a tent and that was like one of the most terrifying things that audience has ever seen then to us now in you know, with all the torture porn and whatever that's out in out in the world, it seems like how could people ever be terrified of this? So it's I think it's yeah. really nice touchstone to sort of see where the genre sort of the early roots of the genre started and to then where we've obviously ended up. Yeah. And also one of my favourite tidbits is uh, the infamous swimming suit uh that Kay wears and because it's got two slits going up the thighs, it was very very risque and that was another thing that kind of gave it a bit of an x rating because her thighs were there was a lot of thigh on show god forbid um so the it's the story is inspired by a brazilian urban legend about a creature in the amazon but also uh the story of beauty and the beast um and it does kind of have that you know the creature is 
becomes obsessed with Kay once when she goes swimming in the water they do this kind of love dance in the water where they're kind of mimicking each other's movements it's absolutely beautiful the underwater shots um and it's it's a bit King Kong as well um what did you get from the story of Creature from the Black Lagoon yeah it's I think one of the earlier drafts was literally just King Kong and the notes were this is King Kong but on water we, yeah. we can't do this but I think they then ended up recycling that script for the sequel so the sequel is mm-hmm. very much just King Kong on water mm-hmm. um, but it is I mean I think it, the the interesting thing about the story is as much as it is King Kong Beauty and the Beast there hasn't been another creature there's from that era, you know, there's always there's countless mummy films and Dracula films and Frankenstein mm-hmm. films, but we haven't had, to my knowledge at least, we've not, other than like Swamp Thing, we've not had a new creature, which I think is, I guess, I don't know whether there's something about the story or that they don't think a modern audience would connect with. Maybe it's because it has been done so many times before, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I was reading quite a bit about it's been build to be remade so many times like with names like John Carpenter with Peter Jackson um Guillermo del Toro was attached to a remake at one point but because he wanted to make it a love story Universal didn't agree with that so he was let go from it and that's when he decided to do The Shape of Water um which is a love story between a sea creature and a human woman but yeah, it's been really interesting how much, I mean, even up until like, I think 2018 was the last time there was some talk about it being remade. And it's just amazing that it's never gone through. It just seems that Universal cannot quite get it together to do these classic monster remakes. I mean, obviously they had The Mummy, I think. Was Tom Cruise in The Mummy? Yeah. I didn't see it because it's Tom Cruise and I hate Tom Cruise <laughs> with a passion. Um and then obviously they've been trying to do Bride as well. And it's just, it's not quite clicking for them. And I I guess it's probably like you said, that modern audiences wouldn't really find terror in the creature from the Black Lagoon, unfortunately. Yeah, but then I guess there's still, I mean, horror doesn't have to be scary. You know, there can be the mm. campy comedy horror. Mm. Like they they remade the piranha films you know it could be <laughs> not quite you know in, yeah. in that area but that i guess there, there would still be you know people would go and watch it because they've grown up with the original they would want to to mm. see and i mean the the underwater photography was was great back then but imagine what it would be now i yeah. mean why isn't james cameron behind this i mean that dude loves yeah. being in the water you know <laughs> he's your <laughs> That'll be it, you know, he'll do the Avatar films and maybe then he can come and do a creature film and, you know, get it out there. Because the, the, the other shame for me with Creature is it's a black and white film, but it feels mm. like it would look so amazing in colour. Mm. You know, the creature, I imagine you, the green guy, you know, I think that would, with against the, the tropical landscape and the, you know, the mm. water, I think that that would would look amazing on the screen so out of you know, some of the other monster films like the, the mummy i mean tom cruise did kill the mummy um, you know <laughs> both in the film and outside of the film um but it didn't 
there wasn't anything exciting to look at in it whereas I think this yeah. would be just if nothing else it would be so good just to sit and look at these wonderful mm. these wonderful effects and and locations yeah and it's such a shame that Guillermo del Toro like his films are beautiful and yeah. he would have been absolute perfect for it absolute perfect um so again we see in this film scientists um and humans kind of infringing on the creature's habitats and um it kind of taken its revenge in a way why do you think we see that so much in like underwater kind of terror i mean i guess it's, it's it is the last place that we have to explore because we've already done that with stuff on land and that was before films were around so i guess it's in a way it's a cautionary tale about let's just leave the ocean alone look at what we've done to the land yeah let's let's leave those guys down there because this is what's going to happen if you know who knows what's down there you know there might be there might be a race of, of, of gill men that will rise up and, and yeah. overthrow us. I guess it's it's that sort of that that sort of moral, I guess. Yeah. Um and of course with you know the, the state of the planet at the moment and the oceans and the waterways becoming as uh what's the word polluted and damaged it is kind of a cautionary tale that rings true now just as much as it did in the 1950s, I'm mm. sure. Um, so there is a bit of controversy surrounding Creature from the Black Goon due to its creature concept. Yes. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Well, it's there was a, I forget her name. Um, Millicent the, Patrick. That's what Millicent Patrick. Mm. She designed the creature she did the sketches for the creature but she was working under under the makeup makeup head bud westmore mm -hmm. and he basically took the credit for all of her work i mean i think there was to the point of she was working on the creature and there was some cameramen around doing stuff for the for the press kit and mm -hmm. he went and got them and just before they came in he sort of picked up a brush and sort of stood in a way that it looked like he was working on it and then they came and snapped the pictures and mm -hmm. the way that the picture was framed she was sort of in the background and he just then was like yeah so this is my creature yeah. um and he got insanely jealous of her from from what i read i think he got to she went on a press tour and mm -hmm. it was supposed to be called like the beauty that created the beast and he made them change it to the beauty that lives with the beast to sort of distance her from it and he wasn't happy I don't think he was happy with how that press tour went to the point of he was like constantly badgering Universal saying oh everyone's saying it's her design but it's my design it's my design and then I think she came back from the press tour and she did not have a job with Universal anymore and yeah. I think it took like 50 years before anyone really credited her with her work which is just it's just awful but oh, not surprising given the time yeah. that it was it was made yeah I mean, this Bud Westmore, he sounds a bit of a, a douchebag, really. Oh, God, yeah. you know, between Millicent Patrick's story and then Jack Keevan, who created the bodysuit, and Chris Muller Jr. created and sculpted the head. Those three seem to be quite an integral part of the team. 
and he just seems to have been this massive bully who wanted to kind of take control of everything and really destroyed Millicent's career. I mean, the career she could have had after this. I mean, the creature is iconic. Yeah. Like, and it's such an iconic and well-loved image. I mean, me, myself, I'm obsessed with its image. Like, I have the creature, everything from, like, earrings, artwork. And I could just imagine her heartbreak. I mean, like you said, it's not surprising because that's exactly what happened during those times. And I'm sure it still does happen, unfortunately. Um, So what do you think is the legacy of Creature from the Back Lagoon? And it's obviously it's part of the Universal Monsters, and they've all gone on their own journey. So it's a shame that there's not more of a, a direct legacy in terms of remakes or reimaginings. But it's it is still a story that is featured. You know, I think there's been like Simpsons Halloween parodies on it. I mean, I mean, the Simpsons have done everything, but it is still, despite it not being as remade um people still know what it is you can you know, point it to you know somebody on the street and say you know do you know what this is and they will more than likely say oh that's the, that's the creature from the black lagoon which i think speaks volumes that there is there's only one of it and yet well, i mean there's obviously some sequels but there's only like the one standing point starting off point and people still recognize it to this day like you say it's still being produced on bags and clothing and things this is it's that it was one of the most iconic things from the 50s sci-fi horror horror at time and do you think it has much of an influence on horror of the modern era i mean i guess the story you say the, the story has been done many times you know the the beast falling in love with the beauty and I guess it has in a way, but maybe not as much as one would, would hope. So I think a lot of a, sort of aquatic terrors from the deep horrors, they shy away from from them. If the monster's there, the monster is just a monster, whereas this is a monster that has that has a heart and has emotions. So I guess it's that's sort of been lost, but I guess it's continued in in, in other in other mediums, I guess, in a way. Yeah, I couldn't really say that it has had much. Unfortunately, it hasn't had much, apart from if you look at Del Toro's The Shape of Water, um, which is unfortunate because it is it is a great film. I really like it. And it's, it's one of those films that you can kind of introduce to younger kind of audiences because, I mean, it, it, I, I suppose it could be quite scary, but it's quite easy to watch at the same time um so would you recommend this to horror fans i think i would recommend it to horror fans that have an interest in the history of horror i mean it's it's no good sitting it in front of a younger member of the community that's i guess been raised on a diet of the conjuring films and has no interest in anything before that because they're going to be bored. They're going to be on their phones. They're going to think this is silly. But I think if you're somebody that's keen to get into horror and get into all aspects and the history, then you you have to watch. You have to watch Creature as well as all of the other Universal monsters because you have to see, you know, where the origins of the genre were. 
Mm, yeah, exactly. Um, so out of the two, if someone came to you and was like, look, Kat, I want a horror film that has to do with terror from the deep, which one of the two would you choose to recommend over the other? I mean, I guess if it would be what the, they wanted, if they wanted something that was more likely to scare them and unnerve them, then I would say Sea Fever. Um, there's also some eye-watering gore in a, in, a, in, a, in a couple of in a couple of moments in in Sea Fever, but if you're wat- wanting something with a little more class, isn't the right word, but a little bit more maybe sophistication and heritage, then Creature is is your bag. And like you say, it is one that you could, you know, if you're wanting to watch it with the family, you know, the Creature is one that all ages can watch. You know, grandma can sit there and enjoy it. And it's not too scary for for little kids. Yeah, I would think I would recommend both, but it just depending on who was asking would depend on which one I would push push in the one to. Yeah, I'd go. I'd pretty much agree with you. They're they're two very different films. Um, yeah, I mean, I I am always going to recommend Creature because I just I, I love vintage. Yeah and retro films I'm a really big fan of like the universal and those kind of creature features um but yeah if you're into a bit more of gore um then I definitely go for sea fever uh it's a great Irish film I'm really enjoying the films that are coming out of Ireland recently um we seem to be having a bit of a boom at the moment which is great (laughs) yeah I mean Fright Fest Fright Fest Glasgow this year I think there was four films on the bill that were all Irish and there was you know you are not my mother um mandrake let the right one in which was like a comedy a comedy vampire um and uh the seller which has just gone on to shudder they were there was like 12 13 films that played at glasgow and like a quarter of them were irish which is great yeah and you are not my mother just scared the living daylights i saw it at a premiere at the dublin premiere and it was just scared the living shite out of me if i'm going to be I mean, as as you know yourself, as a mother with a child that's old enough where you can still very vividly remember them being infants, that first five minutes is like, what is happening in this film? Oh my, can I watch the rest of this film if this is how it's starting? Like, am I going to be okay to get through this yeah. film? <laughs> um, so at the end of my episodes, I always ask, what is your favourite horror film? I mean, that's... It's always, it's always, it's always, it's always a tough, a tough question to answer. I guess for me, I probably have sort of three. Um, Saw, um, really, really like Saw. Insidious, I really, I really liked what they did with Insidious. Just the scene where the house alarm goes off in the middle of the night, that my heart just went, when I heard, and even thinking about it, my heart just, because it's that, it's that, everyday horror that you can relate to you know you go to bed at night and suddenly why is the alarm going off it didn't even have to be anything anything supernatural it's why is that going off but I've never really settled on a favorite as such but I think as I as I go on I begin to realize that I think it might be Hellraiser okay um which is really odd because of all that my say my mum watched all the video nasties um nothing phased her apart from Hellraiser um terrified her it's the chatterer she 
she hates it um, to the point, obviously, she went to the cinema to see the second one um, very, very dubiously. But a friend was like, oh, I've seen the trailer. It's not in it. It's not in the trailer. It's just like Pinhead and some other stuff. You'll be fine. And then the chatterer is in it. And she spent the film watching like the bottom quarter of the screen, came home. Um, I was in bed and she came into my room, woke me up took me into her room, made me wait for her to get into bed and then turn her bedroom light off. And then I had to then take myself back to bed in the dark because she was terrified of the chatterer. Um, so it was this big, like, forbidden film in a way. I, think I, I finally, I watched it when I was at, I remember I watched it when I was 11. Um, she, she came into the room and she's like, oh, what do you want for dinner tonight? What are you watching? How is it? She was gone. She was like at the bottom of the stairs going, well, just let me know what you want for dinner. Because um, she wouldn't even come into the room in case she saw it. But the more that the more that I've watched it and I read, um, I read the, the Hellbound Heart and then I've read a lot of Barker since, the more I appreciate it. And I think it's as much as it's 35 years old this year, um, but it still has a lot of really relevant things to say, especially about sexuality. And it's like, you know, the, the Cenobites are almost genderless in a way, you know, as much as one of them is, might be female presenting you know she's still got she has a bold head which is a typically masculine trait and you don't know what's under under the cloaks and I love the fact that they're doing this new film and Pinhead is going to be played um with as, as female presenting which I think is is going to be so interesting to to see so yeah I think it's the older I get the more I think it's it's Hellraiser I'm not entirely sure what that says about me but yeah so you know if you'd have asked me like when I was a teenager it would have been like the craft or I know what you did last summer or scream or something and now it's like yeah it's Hellraiser you know Clive Barker is you know his a his art and his stories are just so incredible and broken um and they just sort of speak to me in a in a way reading a Clive Barker book on a train is um it's an uncomfortable experience. I've done that many times. I've never read any uh, Clive Barker's. I've, I have, I read the um, the comic book series of Nightbreed, um, but I've never actually read any of his like novels or his his stories. So that is something that I definitely have to uh, get onto. I think because a lot of people have said that they're amazing. So yeah, I mean his books of blood. I mean they're obviously a collection of of short stories. And within within that, you've got the short story that inspired the Midnight Meat Train. You've got the Forbidden, which was the source material for Candyman. Um, and there's there's another couple in there. I mean, there's been it's on Disney Plus. Um, the Books of Blood. Uh, I think it was a mini series, but they've repackaged it into um, a film format for for Disney Plus, um, which covers off a couple more. Um, it's got Anna Friel uh, and Britt Robinson in. Um, but he's very, it's very macabre, very twisted. Um, there's a lot of, lot of stories to do with, to do with gay men. And he, by the time he was writing, he was struggling with his own sexuality and how, um, the implications of what that meant. Um, so there's a lot of stories with, with gay protagonists, and there's a, 
there's a lot of violence a lot of sexual violence so that's that's something to to know before you you delve into delve into barker and he's i mean the hellraisers and a nightbreed a testament to it he's not afraid of extreme gore and and body modifications so he's not for the faint of heart and i say reading it reading it on the london tube where people can like <laughs> look over your shoulder and see i mean i was I was heavily pregnant, like reading, yeah. reading um, one of his most disturbing ones, uh, Cold Heart Canyon, and yeah, God knows what people thought of me that were like looking over because people do they have a look at what you're like on your phone or what you're reading, and yeah, I'm not sure what they thought of me. Um, so thank you so much for coming on and chatting with me about uh, Terror from the Deep. Thank you. You know, it's always nice to talk to a, a fellow horror mother. It's uh, you know, I feel like we're we're few and far between at the moment, so it's nice to to have that uh, that that camaraderie there. So that was my chat there with Cat Hughes about two films that are about terror from the deeps. We have 2019 Sea Fever, directed by Nisa Hardiman, and we also have 1954's Creature from the Black Lagoon, directed by Jack Arnold. Now, what did you think of this week's episode? Are you afraid of water, or are you a bit like me, where it doesn't really bother you that much? You know it should bother you. Like, who knows what's down there? There could be, like, kaijus down there, but who knows? Um, but yeah it doesn't really bother me I mean if I'm gonna go out I might as well go out by a beanie and buy a huge sea monster or a life-threatening aquatic parasite why not who cares okay so let us know what you think on social media on Facebook and Instagram at what a scream podcast and you can also find me on Twitter at what underscore scream um and you can also keep up with my writings and the things I tweet about there um, and don't forget to also rate and review um, whatever podcast platform you are listening to me on. So next week's episode, we are welcoming back um, a podcast regular, the one of the, the scream queens of Ireland. It is Ruby Noir. And together we are bringing you a Pride Month special uh, talking about more queer horror. I did already did one episode of queer horror with a uh, mix bell morrigan we chatted about raw and let the right one in well this time me and ruby are gonna amp up the dial on the queerness um which i am super excited for so yes tune in next week for that gem um and as always stay horrific goodbye <laughs>